Hey, welcome back to The Daily Bun Show with me, Reed Daly. Today is November 12th, 2020, and this is the Friday Top 5. This week, we are showcasing stories from Under Armour, how one music veteran wants to roll up indie music venues from across the country, Microsoft launches all new features with Teams, the CEO from AP talks about why he's the man with the vision, and Nike releases a story of the dunk. These Friday Top 5 updates are available on dailyblend.com or by subscribing at Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Overcast, etc., etc. So with all that out of the way, let's jump into the show. All right, our first story comes in with Under Armour making strong footwear sales and helping driving their earnings calls. So I've talked about Under Armour and some of their challenges over the last few months or years rather. Um, they diluted their brand by selling in discount retailers and have really struggled with brand extensions. I think they tried to expand in all ways, all ways, and maybe weren't focused on specific niche uh, markets. They also went after the MyFitnessPal solution um, and started to do some you know, general uh, advances in their HQs. I think some of the challenges, too, with Under Armour was the fact that last year their CEO uh, got flagged for some, you know, inappropriate management tactics and activities. I think they also had some challenges with some accounting. So just a whole host of um, challenges for them. Their new CEO, Patrick Frisk, uh, really was brought in uh, to fix this company, they've gone on and uh, sold the MyFitnessPal. I think they took about a $75 million loss on this one, and they really are trying to focus on direct-to-consumers. This is very much the same tactic that uh, Nike is taking, Adidas is starting to taking uh, with uh, direct-to-consumers, and it will be interesting to see if Under Armour can really turn things around by you know pulling out of stores like uh, Dick's Sporting Goods and selling directly to the customers. I think Under Armour's biggest challenge is they haven't made significant advances in their footwear innovation. I mean, I know that they're saying that they've made increases in sales as a result of footwear, but when I think about what Nike keeps on doing in terms of their tech, their advancements, their alignment to athletes, what Adidas is doing, it just really feels like it's Nike, Adidas, and then way down the road, it's Under Armour. So I think, you know, Under Armour has benefited from the fact that a lot of their uh, sweat tech is appropriate for the COVID uh, stay-at-home uh, lifestyle. But uh, post-COVID, are they going to be able to keep those gains in sort of the casual wear, or can they actually transition into performance wear? So our second story comes in from Rolling Stone, and it's about former Lollapalooza co-founder Mark Geiger and his desire to roll up a series of indie music venues from across the country. So he stresses that he's not trying to do this from some sort of financial engineering, but he really wants to help. And so the idea is that he goes to a series of indie venues and probably infuses capital for some tenant improvements, some digital improvements, and trying to maybe, I'll call it daisy chain, a bunch of these venues together in sort of a groupings. So if you're a artist, it's, it's really simple. You would sign with him, and then you'd say, all right, here are the 15 different venues that we have relationships with, and you're going to hit all of these venues as part of your tour. Um, that that sort of piece is, is just my thinking of how you would approach this from 
sort of an optimization standpoint, and I'm obviously making the assumption he would do tenant improvements and probably brand alliances with, you know, an alcohol brand, a food brand, a snack brand, etc. But what I think is interesting on stories like this is the fact that these sort of tactics have been done with AEG, Live Nation, but in a much larger scale. I also think you saw them uh, oftentimes with record labels and music production companies and music entertainment companies. So, you know, this is not something that is outside of the norm. But when we start thinking about music venues and that sort of lower price point, you've got sort of the local mentality. And oftentimes when those get sort of tampered with, you do lose some market um uh, you know, brand equity in the last, you know, or for the first couple of years as they sort of transition. But I think over time as sort of that, you know, younger audience, you know, who knew the venue back in the day, so to speak, um, moves on, the newer generation just fully adopts the fact that this venue is aligned to, a, you know, a corporate brand. So from an overall standpoint, I really like this idea. Um, you know, I always struggle with the balance of a nice corporate event uh, feeling venue versus like sort of that like indie uh, granola uh, venue that we all grew up with. But, uh, you know, any way that we can get more music to the people post COVID, I'm all for. So our third story comes in from Microsoft and the more recent updates that they've made with their productivity suite, namely Teams. They've also made some updates to their admin center that the majority of the people won't care about, but I really want to focus on Teams. So if you've listened to this podcast, you obviously know I'm a big proponent of it. I like what it does um, in terms of enablement. I think it's, it's great for collaboration, but what I want to know is can we... Um, measure or or sort of track the effort to output you know just because you're busy doesn't mean you're actually doing productive work or meaningful work and i think you know microsoft is trying to roll out a series of tools to find data points to say when people are working together or collaborating and we see these increases in energy of of back and forth or sentiment in the text can we sort of you know translate that to uh, output? And I think the answer is probably yes, but is it meaningful output? And so what I would love to see, especially with companies like Microsoft who own, you know, the production suite um, in their ERP solution, a sales suite in their dynamic CRM solution, and then their like collaboration suite with Teams, can we pull that information together and say, I did these things as an individual or a group, it yielded these results from a sales standpoint, and then I captured this much, you know, revenue um, down the road. And can we find patterns in that? So obviously, that takes a lot of effort, time and data. But it's something that I'm sort of interested to see if Microsoft is trying to challenge themselves to, to solve or if a third party can really tackle this and help companies really look at their data and, and find themes. Our fourth story is on Francois, the CEO of Audemars Piget, and it really uh, comes from a fantastic article by the team over at A Collected Man. They went on site with him and, you know, did a day-long um, 
interview. And there are many quotes that I really liked, um, two of which that I thought were very interesting, is that he's got on his wall, do or do not, there is no try, which is a Yoda quote. And uh, he also goes on and, and really talks about how AP is transforming the way that they engage with customers, customer insights they want. You know, if you look at the tactics that they've um, deployed over the last 18 months, they've pulled out a lot of uh, their brick and mortar locations. They've gone direct to consumer. They've set up their own uh, clubhouses where customers can come interact. They can buy watches, of course, but really it's it's there as a, as a place for them, a third home, if you will, stealing that sort of quote from uh, Sid Mashburn. Um, but what I think is interesting is this is one of those CEOs that has a vision. And when I think about CEOs, I really put them in four buckets, uh, visionaries um, or, or thought leaders, if you will, someone who's, you know, a whale hunter who can go, you know, find new customers, someone who's just operationally fit or someone who's fantastic at m and And I, you know, I, I don't claim to know Francois very well. Um, I've never met him just, you know, as an outside observer. And he really looks like someone with the vision for what's next. And I think oftentimes, you know, you have to lead a horse to water with some of these transformational things. And I think he's done that both in terms of the uh, internal operations from what I've read, from the way that they're going to market and some of the products that they've launched most notably, you know, the code 1159 that's gotten mixed reviews. I personally think it's a fantastic looking um, watch. And if I had $80,000, I'd be very interested into it. But um, I highly recommend you going to the article from The Collected Man. I think it's just a really great piece to read about how a leader thinks about engaging with customers in unique and different ways. And I think a lot of individuals can benefit from reading some of the themes and sort of ideas that he's trying to bring to market with his company. Our fifth story comes in on the story of the Nike Dunk. And I, I couldn't be more happy to be featuring this on our Friday Top 5. So, you know, growing up, I did not have the best shoes. Um, I can constantly remember just having sort of uh, Kmart shoes, Walmart shoes that would fall apart. And I was always super envious of people with shoes that were, you know, slick looking from Nike, Reebok, um, Adidas, etc., so, you know, when it came time for me to be a Nike athlete in college, I was always super excited to have, you know, the newest and best Nike shoe. And I'll never forget, I went out to the outlets and found a Nike Dunk. Um, it was an orange and blue um, patent leather. And I just, I wore that shoe for, I think, two years in New York. It was, you know, beat to hell. But God, I love the, I love the way it looked. I love the way it felt. And so I've long been a fan of the Nike Dunk, and I think it's a big reason why I like the uh, Jordan 1 so much. But what's great about this video series that Nike's putting out, it's really talking about you know, how Nike was looking to build a shoe, I wouldn't say for the people, but for the um, you know, college kid or college student. And they went to a final four and saw the energy from college sports and said, how can we, you know, bundle that energy and put that into a shoe? And so the Nike Dunk was one of the first shoes um, to really have like eccentric colors. If you looked historically, most shoes were mostly or predominantly white. And these uh, 
represented, you know, the colors from different universities. Uh, I will call out the fact that St. John's, my school, was in the final four and was a part of this sort of transformation with colors having, uh, being applied to shoes. But, you know, the video series really talks about the origin story, and there's been multiple videos by Nike, and there's going to continue to be a few more, I believe. I don't know the exact count. Um, it also talks about how Nike sort of had the dunk, let it sort of fall by the wayside because uh, they went after other models, um, notably like the Jordan line at the time, and how years later it sort of got picked up by sneaker heads and skateboard people. And, you know, these are just fun videos to just see how, you know, companies like Nike can maybe throw too much innovation uh, at products um, and really just keeping it simple sometimes works. And that would be the case with the with the um, the dunk here. But uh, I highly recommend you head to dailyblend.com. Uh, we've got the first two uh, videos in the series uh, from Nike. There's a third one coming out, um, you know, right around when this will post. So we'll, we'll try to get the third one up in coming weeks. But I think you'll really enjoy uh, this series. They're about five minutes. So that wraps it up for this week's Friday Top 5 edition. Don't forget to follow me, Reed Daily, at Twitter and Instagram. That's R-E-E-D-D-A-I-L-E-Y. And you can find Daily Blend on Twitter, Instagram, and of course, dailyblend.com. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. All episodes downloaded automatically to your mobile device, your laptop, iPad, or Apple Watch. And enjoy the rest of your weekend and the Masters.